Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. In anything that we do, anything we try to do in our own righteousness, but Isaiah 61.10 says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. Listen to this. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. If you're a Christian today, you are covered, indeed wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Go all the way to Galatians chapter 3 for a second. Hold your finger in Genesis. We'll come back. Galatians 3, look at verse 13. This is what God did for us that we might be wrapped in his righteousness. Galatians 3, in verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Galatians 3.13, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order, Galatians 3.14, In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then skip down to verse 28, Galatians 3. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have what? You have clothed yourselves with Christ. When God sees you now, if you go back to Genesis 3, he sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And you are clean. You are blameless before him. It's hard to get your arms around that one, isn't it? In fact, I'm not sure that many of us really believe it. Because we hear these promises and we hear that our sins are forgiven and we hear that we're clothed in the garments of salvation but we still are trying to save ourselves in many ways. It's so hard for us to get our arms around that the price has been paid in full and you are wrapped in the garment of salvation. The Bible tells us when Jesus returns and his glory appears in the darkened sky, the glory clouds, all the angels with him, that the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders, the rich, the strong, the slave, the free... They will hide themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they will say to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Do you know that when the end time scenario unfolds and Jesus returns, people will go into hiding in caves under rocks and they will say, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. They would not receive His sacrifice, His blood uh, on their behalf. So now they will say, hide me from His face. The garden scene is, is also a foretaste of those who reject Jesus Christ. And who is able to stand? Sinners won't stand in the judgment. They're going to fall. But you will stand, Jude 24, faultless, with exceeding joy one day before Him. Not because you did it, because, but because he's able to keep you from stumbling. That's why the gospel is good news, you guys. That's why it deserves to be preached on the highways and byways because the price has been paid in full. Here's the seeker of the lost, Genesis 3, 9. Then the Lord God called. So they're hiding, God seeking. Then the Lord God called to the man. And he said to him, where are you? Now, if you ever... Uh, you know, those of you who have had kids or you have kids right now, you know, sometimes your children try to hide for, from you in a fun little game and you know exactly where they are, but you'll say, where are, I don't know where he is, where are you? And they're trying to cover under a blanket. And that's kind of a fun thing. See, 
God knows where they are geographically and spiritually. He's not wondering what their location is. He knows where they are. This is a remedial question. This is a question of where are you? Can I ask you, where are you today? Where are you with God? Really, if everything was peeled back and everything was taken away, how would you assess where you are? Well, God calls to Adam, not to Eve. He calls to the man, verse 9. Why to the man? He'll interact with Eve in a moment, but he's going to hold Adam ultimately responsible. Eve is also responsible. But since the man has headship, and this is what I've been telling you, in in the, the book of Genesis, headship has been established. The man is the head over his wife. I know a lot of moderns say, how dare you? Look, you're equal, you're human, but there's a role that's been given to the man. And he is going to be held culpable for both of their sin. And ultimately it's through one man, Romans 5.12, that sin entered the world. Adam is held responsible and God calls to Adam. And he says to him, where are you? If you look over at Genesis 4 for a second, same principle applies. God said, Genesis 4 verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know Am I my brother's keeper? Genesis 4.10 And God said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me on the ground. It doesn't mean that God doesn't know where Adam is. He knows where he is. He's trying to get him to come out on his own. He doesn't want to drive him out of the trees. He wants to draw him out of the trees. So sometimes when we have a little kid that's made a mistake and they're hiding behind the door symbolically or literally... We could beat the door down or we could ask the question, where are you? We're trying to get them to confess. We're trying to get them to come clean. You know how apt we are to do that, right? Kids are playing ball in the house. They break the lamp. You know how they all line up just for mom and dad to come home so they can all come clean, right? Wrong. They usually scatter. (laughs) Some years ago, I was uh, playing some ball with a young man. I had had a chance to lead him to Christ and mentor him some, and we were at a park, and it was close by a street, and uh, I was throwing some balls to him, and he was batting, and he hit one over the fence, and a car was coming, and it smashed into the windshield of the car. And he looked at me and said, should we run? And I said, yes! (laughs) No, I didn't say that. I thought about it, though. And then I thought, this would be a really bad example. I'm a pastor. (laughs) We broke a window. But you all can relate to this, right? Our first instinct when we do something wrong, is to run. <laughs> we don't sit there and line up and say, okay, I did it. Wouldn't it be refreshing with all the scandals in the world and all the people covering up and hiding and we've got to go through all these investigations to find out the truth. If somebody just stepped up to a podium and said, I did it, I made a mistake, I'm sorry, I'll take my lumps. What do you do now? Okay. Here's your punishment. I mean, even police officers say, if you song and dance them, they'll probably give you a ticket. If you're just honest, sometimes they let you go. Why? Because they're so shocked that somebody's honest. Well, Adam and Eve set the tone, don't they? The Lord God calls to the man, where are you? Trying to draw him out. And what's Adam trying to do? Hide from the presence of God? Jonah tried that, remember? Then he found out that God speaks fish. Custom made. David wrote in Psalm 139, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, think of Jonah, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. The devil will always prepare a way for you to run from God. A ship will always be waiting. A car will be running. A place to hide. And Adam said, I heard the sound of you, verse 10, Genesis 3, in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Fear and shame come out in the garden. Who was Adam afraid of? Who was he hiding from? God. That's what sin does to us. We hide from the one who wants to heal us. Strange, isn't it? The one who can actually do something about our sin. We try to run from him. And Adam says, I heard you coming. I, I heard your sound. I knew this was the time of day that you, you come for our daily walk. And I was afraid. In Hebrew, the word afraid or fear is yare. In the Hebrew picture language, it means fear or awe, but it literally means the hand that you see. The English fear carries the idea of terror, but yare or fear in Hebrew carries the meaning of trembling, either in terror or in reverence of, or wonder. It used to be that when God came, there was a, an awe, a wonder at his presence. Now the fig leaves are shaking and the lips are trembling. Now he's afraid of the one who was there to bless him. He said, I heard you coming. I realized that I was naked. I realized that I was exposed and I tried to hide. There's a truth here about people's pain. People try to hide their pain. Sometimes they lash out. Maybe a lot of what's going on in our society, at least in part, could be answered in the fact that a lot of people have pain and they don't know what to do with it. So they, they make their cases and do whatever they do. And God says, come out, come out, wherever you are. It's time to come to the light. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. The Bible actually teaches that when you bring your sin into the light, sin loses power. But it's so hard to do it. It is so hard to admit that you are wrong. It is so against our sin nature to fess up. The psalmist writes, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. This is Psalm 27, 4 and 5. For in the day of trouble He will conceal me in His tabernacle. In the secret place of His tent He will hide me he will lift me up on a rock. God's calling Adam out to try to teach him something about salvation. And he said, God said to him, Genesis 3.11, who told you that you were naked? There's nothing in the record that anybody told him. He saw his own shame. And God said, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Does God know that he ate from it? Yes. The question is trying to get Adam to confess like when your little kid takes the cookie before dinner and you told him, don't do it, and you know he did it, the lid's off, there's cookie on his face, and you say, did you take the cookie? No, he did. <laughs> right? The classic blame shift maneuver. Blame shift 101. 
goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And Adam, speaking for many over the years, said, the woman, verse 12. And you could stop right there. (laughs) Sorry, ladies. But many men have said that, right? It's the woman. But he doesn't stop there. In the Hebrew, the woman means my side hurts. I'm just kidding. It doesn't mean that at all. (laughs) The woman that you gave me. He blames her and God. I know nobody's ever done this. Nobody blames God, the creator and sustainer and maker of life, for their problems all the way back to the beginning. Do you see it? You gave her. Now, just a few verses ago, he was saying, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Whoa, man. But a year of marriage has gone by. (laughs) Now, (laughs) the woman. (laughs) Do you see it? (laughs) It's a pattern of all of life established in the garden. The woman that you gave me You put this dangerous creature next to me. (laughs) She gave it to me. It's not mine, it's hers. She gave me from the tree and I ate. Nothing about, he was sitting there while the serpent was tempting his wife. Nothing about his own responsibility. Nothing about how he should have stepped in and done something. Nope. The woman and you, God. You set it all up this way. Adam's response could have been a simple, yes, I ate, but he didn't do that. One writer says, through rationalization, the criminal becomes the victim. We live in a culture of victimhood, the no-fault culture. But its roots go all the way back to the garden. Victimhood has become the fantasy land and refuge for everyone from criminals to presidents to theologians who imagine that the blame for their conduct can be placed on some other person, some other thing, some other group, and even God. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault, but it's certainly not mine. And here comes the blame game. One writer said, to err is human, to blame it on God is even more human. I can't remember who it was, but he said there were two great American periods in, uh, in our own history, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. And here we are. We're all famous for it. I wonder how our relationships might change. I wonder how our churches might change. I wonder how our country might change if we became a little bit more honest and said, it's my fault. Do you know that 2,000 years ago, somebody arrived. He was in that garden when our first parents fell. He gracefully called them out of hiding to himself. He gave them a down payment of the gospel in that garden. And then 2,000 years ago, he arrived and he said, Father, blame it on me. And he made him, God the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He said, Father, I'll take the blame. We can barely own our own stuff, let alone stepping up and covering somebody else's faults. 
But you know, the Bible says that love covers uh, a few? A multitude of sins. Do you see that this is the gospel? It's so hard for us. We can barely own what we do, let alone. But Jesus gave us the example and he came to the world and he never sinned and yet he was probably naked on that cross. He despised the shame, but he endured it for the, for the glory of God the Father and for the hope set before him that we would inherit the kingdom. And we're supposed to be like him. We're supposed to be different. And God addresses the woman He says, what is this you have done, 13? And the woman said, the devil made me do it. This is the first place. She said, at least she's honest. She says, he deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, and you know the running joke, he didn't have a leg to stand on. He said, because you have done this cursed, and there are many curses coming, cursed are you more than all cattle. There's some symbolism here. More than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. You're going to eat dust, Satan. (laughs) Now, he's addressing the literal creature, just like I told you in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. The, The human king is addressed, but the spirit behind the human king is addressed. And here, the creature is addressed, and he is going to slither along. And Anybody like snakes in here? Even Indiana Jones was afraid of snakes. Right? There's a few people. Usually when you, when you pull a room like this, there's one or two that like snakes, but the rest of us, ooh, ooh. there's something about a snake, right? Low to the ground, eating dust. And the snake is symbolic of our fall. Every time you watch him on the ground, you remember the fall of our first parents, taking us down to the dust from which we came. God says, final verse for this morning. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, this seed that will come, shall bruise you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. NIV reads, I will put enmity, that means strife, between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, the seed of the woman will, and you will strike his heel. Now modern critical scholars have denied that this is the first gospel, but I will tell you this, All the way back to the second century, church fathers such as Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, called this the Proto-Evangelium. Literally, just write it this way if you're writing it down, the first gospel. The first gospel is in Genesis 3.15. And it talks about the seed of the woman, which implies the virgin birth He'll be born supernaturally without the seed of a man. He'll be the seed of the woman. And the seed of the woman ultimately is Christ. And he will crush the serpent's head, but the serpent will strike at his heel. The serpent will give him a blow at the cross, but it will not be fatal. But the fatal blow will come to the serpent's head, and he will be cast in the lake of fire. Satan will soon have his head crushed under the church, Romans 16, 20. What we have here is an astounding gospel prophecy because God's curse upon the serpent turned into a word of grace, giving us what has been recognized from the second century A.D., as the first gospel. The woman's offspring, literally seed, singular, is Christ. And Satan's seed is going to cause problems. Jesus told the religious leaders, you're of your father, the devil. So unbelievers could be the seed of Satan. But the ultimate seed of Satan, in my view, is going to be the Antichrist. Empowered by the dragon, Revelation 12. And 
He will be destroyed by the brightness of the coming of the, the one who would come, the Redeemer, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the first time that Jesus came, it says he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And Jesus said, Father, blame me. And if you're in Christ, you are blameless before the Father. You see, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one is coming to God the Father through him, except through him, because he's the one that paid the ransom price. If you're going to try to make it on your own, your fig leaves will never be enough. You're going to stand before God one day, trying to cover yourself in your own righteousness, and it's not going to fly. But if you are willing to be clothed in those garments of salvation, and it's a free gift, you can't earn it, he, he will take your sin, he did at the cross, and he will give you his righteousness in exchange. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel, the hope of salvation. Even though we are exposed before you and fallen and dead in sins and trespasses, yet in Christ we've been made alive, clothed in the garments of salvation. The serpent, well, his bite is now lessened and ultimately defanged because death will be defanged in the resurrection. And Paul says, oh death, where is your sting? Well, you've dealt with that sting, Lord, and you took the piercing in your body. You shed your blood. You were treated as though you had committed all of our collective sins, though you were innocent. Thank you that you love us that much. It's an amazing love. It's such good news. And as we are about to come to your table now to remember what you did, remember how you transformed the Passover meal into this remembrance. Your body that was pierced like the matzah, your blood that was shed like the wine represented at the Seder. Lord, we remember you. Thank you that you came to seek us. You didn't forget about us. You didn't leave us hiding somewhere in a corner. You seek and save that which is lost. With your head and heart bowed, if you have not met Christ, but you know you're here for a reason, you know God has called you to this place to hear this message, that he's been seeking you and knocking on your door and wooing you, and you know that you need him so desperately. We all do. With your heart and head bowed, it's time just to ask him to, to cover you and cleanse you. To trust in him and him alone for your salvation. And if you're a prodigal and you've been running, just remember he's been waiting for you. He's a seeker of the lost. It's something like this. If you want to give your life for the first time or rededicate your life, pray to him. Call out to him while he can be found. It's something like this. And say it out loud. If it's you, Jesus, save me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I trust in you. I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do it your way. Clothe me in those garments of salvation. Make me a new person on the inside. Cause me to be born again of your Holy Spirit. You don't have to have a perfect prayer, but you need to confess right now that he's Lord. Believe on him, trust in him for your salvation. Lord, for prodigals who have come home, we praise you. For those of us who just needed a little further clarification or 
just encouragement that we're saved in the righteousness of Christ. Thank you. Let our lives be a thank you note. Let our living the right way and our gratitude be because of all you have done for us. As we come to your table now, bless us with the sweetness of some face-to-face time with our God. Communion is a foretaste of what's to come and as we partake of the elements, we thank you for all you've done for us. And we look forward to that day when we will be at your table face-to-face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Living Truth Radio and we have the privilege of coming over this station to you But um, the privilege does have a cost, and we just want to take a moment to let you know that we want to thank you for praying for us and partnering with us on Living Truth Radio. There's a way that you can give to this radio broadcast. We do have some wonderful open doors, but we do need you to partner with us in prayer and in giving. If you can give to the ongoing radio ministry of Living Truth, we deeply appreciate it. Uh, when Oscar and I walk into this studio and we have Cameron doing recording for us, none of us get paid to do radio. We're doing it because it's a passion. And if you can partner with us, we'd appreciate it. Here's how you can help us out. You can go to livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. Click on the Donate tab. You'll see a picture of Pastor Michael there. Make sure that when you go to the PayPal account, you indicate that your gift is for radio ministry. If you'd like to send a gift, you can send it to Living Truth 1009 Arsenal Way, think of the armor of God, Corona, California 92880. Again, that is Living Truth 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California 92880. If you have any needs that we can help you with, you can always give us a call. The office is open on the West Coast here in Southern California, Tuesday through Friday from 9 to about 5 in the afternoon. Our number is 951-735-2856. You can find out all that information and directions to Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona by going to our website. If you're ever in the area, we'd love to have you come and worship with us. We have services at 9 and 11.15 a.m. We have a lot of things for kids. We have child care, Sunday school classes that run concurrent with the services. And you can find out all those details one more time at livingtruthradio.org. On behalf of Oscar Santa Cruz and Cameron Thomas, this is Pastor Michael Lance. We'll catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry, and we have an opportunity to expand our reach. We exist to build up believers and reach out with the gospel to others. And we need you, our listening family, to partner with us in prayer and in giving in order to do that. You can give in a couple different ways. One way is to go online to livingtruthradio.org or you can send in your offering to Living Truth Christian Fellowship 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California 92880. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.